Um, and, and today I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself a lot because a lot of what we're reading today is a narrative and much of it will speak for itself. Um, but let's jump in here. Verse 1, and the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, if you've been with us this summer, this phrase of, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them over. How many times have we heard this over and over and over again? And the reason we call this cycles is this book is a book of cycles. That is, the people rebel against God. God sends a nation to conquer them. The people cry out to God. God sends a deliverer or a judge to come and rescue them. They're rescued. There's peace. And then they start over again in rebellion. And that's what we're seeing in verse 1 again. They did what was evil. God gave them over. And this time, the conquering nation is the Philistines. And you've heard of the Philistines. Uh, they were a people of the sea. They came from Greece. And they came and inhabited the land of Canaan. Now, if you remember, way back in Joshua, the Israelites were commanded to drive the Philistines out. Out of the land because God knew if they remained in the land that they would be a thorn in the side of the Israelites for years to come. Israel disobeyed, did not completely drive them out of the land. And just as God had promised, here the Philistines come up again. Now, if you know your Bible, in another couple of books, where are we going to see the Philistines? A guy named Goliath. They will continue to be a thorn in the side of the Israelites. The Philistines have, has disarmed the Israelites. Israelites have no weapons. Being the conquering nation, they come in, they've, they've, they've confiscated all their weapons. Now you have a passive Israel who is over the Philistines. Now, this one we think is a little bit different. If you've been here this summer, you know that some of the, the conquering nations are ruthless. The things they did to the women um, are unspeakable. But with the Philistines, we don't get this. And here's why I don't think we get this. Number one, the Bible doesn't tell us that these Philistines were, were conquering them with a really harsh, firm fist. But here's what we see if you notice. The one thing that's different in this, the people did not cry out. God sees that they are oppressed, and God sends a rescuer. We skip one cycle. Usually they're oppressed. The people say, we can't take this anymore. They're killing our men. They're raping our women. We need help. They cry out. This time they don't, which tells me the, Phil the Philistine rule, although they're a conquering nation, is not this firm, ruthless bloodbath. What we see Israel here, they have slid into passive oppression. There's a new normal in Israel. And that new normal is the Philistines are in charge and we'll worship their gods. And if we do that, they won't harm us. And so therefore they don't cry out. It's frightening how quickly we can become accustomed to bondage. See, so the Philistines been ruthless, Israel would have cried out and said, God, help me. Like all their alarms and their senses would have came up. If you remember, we've quoted this several times in this book, uh, a book by uh, C.S. Lewis, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope. 
Many of us here today have become accustomed to bondage. Many of us have accepted the fact, I'll just always have an anger problem. I'll just always have a lust problem. I'll just always have a discontentment problem. I'll always have anxiety. We've just become accustomed to, and that has become our new normal. And that's where we see Israel. Verse 2, but God is going to act. There was a certain man of Zorah. Now, Zorah is near the Philistine border, so right on the edge of where the Philistines and Israelite lands come together, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And this man, his wife was barren, and he had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So this angel says, Hey, you're going to have a child. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to whom God, Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So they're deli- this, this man and woman are, are visited by this angel and this angel of the Lord. And again, some people think this is Jesus kind of pre-coming to earth and taking on skin. And this angel delivers this message and says, you're barren now, but you will have a child. And this child, and he gave him some very specific instructions, but here's what he says about this child. This child will begin to deliver you from the Canaanites. I'm sorry, the Philistines. He will begin to deliver you. Now, notice the promise. He doesn't say this man will deliver you. He says he will begin to. And because he has this call of God, God instructs him, you're to raise him as a Nazarite. Now, here's what a Nazarite was. There's another famous Nazarite in the Bible. It's called John the Baptist. A Nazarite was a person that took a vow that said for a, for a certain period of time, I won't shave my head, I won't drink wine, and I won't touch a dead thing, a, a, a dead person, a dead animal. That was a Nazarite vow. And it was for some people, it wasn't for all Christians, it wasn't for all people, it was for some people, and it was, like, it was a consecration thing that says, I have a task that God wants me to do, I'm going to set myself aside, and there's some things I'm going to do in my devotion to God. Well, here's the, what the angel tells them, your son will be a Nazarite. Now, not for a certain period of time, but for his life, this is supposed to be the type of life he will have. So here's what we see, again, with no action from Israel, let's hear this. No action from Israel, Israel, God intervenes. Hill City, God's not waiting for you. God can do whatever he wants to do. And God is going to intervene. And God's claim is on this child. He has designated this child and said he will be a Nazarite and I have a role for him. He will begin to deliver Israel. Parents, let me talk to you. Your child is not yours. Your child is the Lord's whom God has given to you to raise and shepherd and teach and train. But your child is not yours. One of the, the things that that's saddens me, and I've seen over and over and over again, we have many young people that come to faith in Christ. We have many college students that, that, that believe the gospel and want to be baptized. You know where the opposition comes when they want to be baptized? 
not their friends. It's not their non-Christian friends. You know where it is? Their parents. One group of parents is our, our parents that maybe grew up in another, uh, another uh, type of religious system where those people got baptized at a certain age, maybe as a baby, and they think, well, that's, you're walking away from what the faith that we had. But here's what I also see among evan- evangelical parents is we have many kids who maybe got baptized when they're four or five, and, they're gonna, and they come and they're 21, and here's what they say, I had no idea what I was doing. It, was, it, does, it didn't mean anything to me. And now that I'm 21 and I understand and I'm following the gospel, I want to get baptized. And here's what many of some, not all, some of their parents say, well, you don't need to do that. You did that when you were young. And it was real then. Parents, do you know your child's heart? Here's what we tell our students, because our students are conflicted. They want to follow Christ and they want to obey their parents. And what we teach them and and counsel them, there comes to a certain age where you have to say, I am my own person and I am an adult. And here's what we tell our kids. When you stand before the Lord one day, your mom and dad aren't going to be holding your hand beside you. Parents, your children are not yours. They're God's. You know what I'm preparing myself for? I have a child who loves other cultures, other countries. I love it. I'm preparing myself for, hey, I want to be a missionary. Me, I've got to be open-handed. My child's not mine. So God has placed his claim on this child. And here's what we have to see about Samson. Samson has a great beginning. He comes from a great family. He has an incredible gifting, which you're going to see. He has this strength that God's given him because he's going to be the one that's going to conquer the Philistines. He has this incredible gifting. He has an incredible call on his life. He has a wonderful beginning. But Samson has some other issues, and it's going to come crashing downhill. Verse 8. Then Manoah, this, the dad, prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God, whom God sent, this angel, come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child who will be born. Is that not the prayer of all parents like God teach us? We have no idea what to do with this thing. Like the, it, it showed up and there's a diaper, but there's no manual in that diaper. There's something else. And we have no idea what to do. I love that. So even among this pagan Israel that's kind of walked away from God, we still have faithful parents. Like, they desire to raise their child to serve the Lord. They believe the promise God's given them. Parents, remain faithful. God doesn't call us to perfection. We're going to make a mess of things. Remain faithful. Let's jump down. Verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. See that. Samson's, God has blessed Samson. Samson has the blessing and the call of God on his life. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Manadam between Zorah and Eshtal. Now, Samson's name means sunny or brightness or sunshine. I think of the, remember the Titans, sunshine, right? Even the long hair. That's what his name means. And so this name means that he is going to start to be a light to this dark Israel, and the spirit is working in him. Now, I'll remind you, this spirit working in him is not because of Samson's righteousness. You're going to see he is flawed beyond measure. God has chosen him 
and it's God's righteousness that is working in him. Hill City, God will use you, flaws and all. Many of you desire to be used by God. We have a discipleship conference coming up in a few weeks. We're training people how to, how to walk through someone one-on-one to make disciples. Here's what many of you say, I want to do that, but... And then there's either a list of struggles you have or sins you're still working through or just insecurities about your gifting. Well, I want to, but here's what we see. God's saying, Samson, I have a job for you. I will make you righteous. I will do this in you. It has nothing to do with Samson or what he can accomplish on his own. The secret to Samson's strength was not his long hair. It was God's gifting in his life. So will Samson, with incredible family, an incredible call of God, incredible giftingness, will he remain faithful? Will he stay in the grace of God? God has a plan for him, and here's what a little secret into this. Samson is going to do what God called him to do. It just may not be the way that Samson would have chosen. And it's probably not the way that God would have desired. But ultimately, Samson's going to do what God called him to. Verse 1 of chapter 14. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that... We must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Parents, any red flags going off here? Samson's wandered four miles into enemy territory. One of the things I've learned, and maybe some of you this is like, well, duh, stupid. One of the things I learned about this land of Canaan, it's not as big as I imagined it. It's not like he's going 400 miles to this other country. We're talking about like here to Nixa. I mean, this is a small area, and, and they are living in proximity. And so Solomon or Samson wanders over into the enemy territory, Philistine territory, and he sees a girl. And he says, get her for me as my wife. Now, if you know judges, you've been here, you know that this is against what God's commanded. God specifically told them, don't marry the Canaanites. Don't take their sons for your, for your girls. Don't take their girls for your men. Don't marry them. Samson, I see her. Get her for me as my wife. Sounds like a spoiled little brat, doesn't he? What's Samson been called to do by God? Defeat the Philistines. What's he doing? Chasing after him to marry him. Children, we have kids in here today. Can all the kids look up for a second? We have, today's a family service, a family gathering because our kids space, we don't have. Kids, the most important thing you can do right now is to obey your parents. Your parents want to teach you what God has for you. They want to protect you. The thing that God has called you to do, children, in this stage of your life, is to obey and respect your parents. 
Now, sometimes you don't want to, and sometimes they're going to ask you to do things that you really want to do, but what God has for you right now, children, is for you to obey and respect and listen to your parents. And if Samson, kid, you're going to find out Samson's going to, he's going to make a mess of his life, if he would have just listened to his parents, he would have had a way different life. Children, God's call for you is to obey your parents and to listen to your parents. But the Bible says she was right in Samson's eyes. And this is going to let us in to what I believe is Samson's greatest flaw. And that is whatever he thinks about and that he wants, he goes after. One of the things we teach you over and over and over again is we are what we love. Meaning what I love and what I desire is what I am because it's what I live towards. And here's what we see about Samson. He is controlled by what he loves. And what he loves is himself and women. And it will control his life. First John says this in chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Keep that passage up there if you would. Flip back one slide. We see that the way that, that sin fleshes itself out is three ways. Lust of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And as we read, I'm going to define these in a second. As we read the story of saints, I want you to think about these three things. You're going to see these come up over and over and over again in the life of Samson. Lust of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. Let's start. Lust of the flesh. Here's what lust of the flesh is. I want to feel or experience. Now, we immediately think of like sexual sin, but that's not all it's about. It could be food and becoming a glutton. It could be wine and becoming an alcoholic. Lust of the flesh is I must have something. I must feel something. I must experience something. I have a craving for it. And so what lust of the flesh does, it takes the good things that God's given and it perverts them. So God's given intimacy as a great thing in marriage. Lust of the flesh says i got to have it now in my own context and it's a twist or a perversion of what God's made for good and it destroys. Lust of the flesh takes food which God's given as a gift to us and it twists it where we go to it as a savior, a functional savior to fix us. And every time I'm down, I go to food to try to do something in me or I'm, un I just, I'm, I'm, I'm unrestrained. I just, whatever I crave, I go for. Oh, Popeyes, let's go. Sin takes wine, a gift from God, and it perverts it, it twists it. To say, I've got to go to that to deal with my insecurities. I've got to go to that to fit in. I've got to go to that to deal with my stress at work. And it causes us to go to drunkenness. See, lust of the flesh takes something that God's given and it twists it and it says, I've got to have it now. I'm unrestrained. It's an uncontrollable lust for something. I want to touch, taste, see, experience. I'm consumed with pleasure. 
and I'm going to have it no matter what God says about it. That's what lust of the flesh is, desires of the eyes. Here's what I see it, and I want it. Solomon, or gosh, I keep calling him Solomon. Samson, I see a woman. I want her. I see a big house. I got to have it. I see that new car. I, it's I see something, and I must have it. The pride of life is I must become. I'm going to be respected at work, and I'm going to make sure they respect me. I'm going to get a big bank account and make sure everyone sees how many boats I have so they can know that that's a man that I want to become. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is working in all of us. And here's what, none of us can hear, listen to those and say, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. No. The flesh, our flesh is always at work in us. And even as we're sitting here, all of us are battling lust of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. Samson's controlled by what he desires at the moment. And at this moment, it's a Philistine woman. And he's overcome with lust. One of the the crazy things, the first recorded words out of of, uh, Samson's mouth, I saw a woman. That's the first recorded words in the Bible that come out of his mouth. And men, the same snare that got him is waiting for us. It is always waiting. David, in the Bible, he's up on his roof and he sees a woman. Solomon sees foreign woman, women, says, I gotta marry them. And it's been destroying men ever since. Not just a man problem, but men, may we continue to fight. None of us are immune. None of us have moved beyond. We're like, oh, yeah, that's I used to struggle. No, bull. May we continue to fight. So I work, I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and one of the things that's, that's and maybe it's been around forever, one of the things that's very heavy among my friends and pastor friends is how many of our brothers fall and cause this wake of devastation around them. Not just pastors, church members, people in the church, respected people that just make a mess out of their life. Here's the deal, guys. No one wakes up, woke up this morning and say, you know what? Today's a great day just to really screw up my life. Anyone say that this morning? But allowing lust of the flesh to remain is a slippery slope towards making a really dumb decision. If you look at what causes men and women to fall, and I don't mean fall as I made a mistake, I mean fall as in ruin their lives and ruin the people's lives around them. The three things, money, sex, and pride or control. Those are the three things. Over and over and over again. That's how it fleshes itself out. But it starts way deeper than that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life.
And Samson has this moment in his life where he sees this woman, and inside he's like, I got to have her. And here's what should happen for him. Because I'm not looking down on him. I'm not saying we're better, guys. Amen. We're not better. But what should have happened is every red flag in his mind should have went off and say, okay, whoa, 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 slow down here. Wait a second. And he should have done battle right then. But he didn't. He saw her and he wanted her. Verse 4. His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over, ruled over Israel. So his parents, they try to talk him out of it, but they don't know that he's already made this decision. And this is kind of a weird verse because it almost looks like, well, it's almost like God wants him to go marry this Philistine. Remember what I told you, God is going to accomplish what Samson, what he's called Samson to. It just may not be in the way God or Samson would have designed. Samson's making his choices, but God is still sovereign, and he's still going to do something here. Verse 5, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. They're going towards to get this girl. And behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I've never torn a young goat, and maybe you have, and you can tell us what that's like, but what I have this vision of is him taking the top of the lion's mouth and the bottom and just, boom. pretty cool. He tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in his eyes. Let's keep going. Kind of a bizarre story here. And after some days, now some commentaries said this could have been even up to a year. So he's went and he's met this woman and he said like, hey, you're going to be mine. And it's after some days, which in that culture a lot of times was a year later, he returned to take her. So he's going to go to, to get his wife and have this wedding ceremony. And he turned aside on the way there to see the carcass of the lion. So it's, it's long enough that this lion has decayed and there's just the bones laying there. See, the carcass of the lion, behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. So he scraped it out with his hands and went on eating as he went. Which sounds gross, right? But remember, I see honey, I want it. He's controlled by his desires. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some. Now that's just me. And they ate. But he did not tell them and he, he scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And so we see this, this kind of bizarre but almost arrogant Samson that says, you know what, I'm just going to kind of have fun here. Yeah, I know I killed that lion. Here, mom and dad, you want some honey? <laughs> They're eating it. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for the young men used to do. So now we have this wedding. And in the wedding in this time is seven days. Now, men, we think some weddings are long. Try seven days. That's a heck of a reception. So this wedding's going to take a week. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30, as soon as they saw Samson, they brought 30 companions to be with him. They're a little nervous. This guy kills lions, he's a big old dude, like we're scared, we need, we need some bodyguards. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast during this wedding, and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't tell me, then you give me those. 
And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. This is so bizarre. What's Samson called to do? Fight the Philistines. What's he doing? Marrying them and telling jokes. Here's his riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. You guys get the riddle? You know what he's talking about? The lion. So he gives them this riddle, and in three days they can't solve the riddle. So instead of fighting him, he's just joining, he's playing these games, they're at this wedding feast. Verse 15, on the fourth day they said to the Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house. So they took bets pretty serious here. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You don't love me. I want to tell the joke there. I'm going to leave that alone. You put a riddle to my people. You have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told you my father nor my mother, and, I, and shall I tell you? And she wept before him the seventh day that their feast lasted. Side note, some commentary said the seventh day was when he would have consummated the marriage. And they think it's very, uh, there's a reason why he finally tells her on the seventh day. Just side note. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Again, I, we'll leave that alone. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? So they solved his riddle. And he said to them, if you had not plowed, plowed, yeah, if you had not plowed with my heifer, men, never call your wives a heifer. It doesn't, it's not going to work well. You would have not found out my riddle. So he accuses them of manipulating his wife. Remember Samson, that's uncontrollable. He's controlled by what he wants at the moment. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, about 20 miles away, and he struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. <sighs> is his life starting to spiral out of control? He's called to fight the Philistines. He doesn't do it. He goes and he marries him. He's done this riddle. He loses a bet. And God, which is kind of interesting here, the spirit comes upon him and he goes and he kills 30 Philistines. Remember, God is going to accomplish his mission. There's a way that God would have desired and the way that Samson would have desired. Well, that's off the table now because Samson's acting like a fool. But God's still going to accomplish it. But when he gets back from killing all these men, his wife has been given to another person. Now, again, we don't know how long. How long does it take to go to 20 miles away and kill 30 men? I don't know. Was it a day? Was it a few weeks? Was it a few months? We don't know. But every case, whenever he gets back, his wife has been given to someone else. Samson is a man that's just whatever he thinks about in the moment, that's what he's chasing. It's, a, it's women here. It's revengeance here. Revengeance? Did I just make up that word? I can tell when I do things because you guys just smirk at me like, really, Hood? Revengeance? And then I'm, I'm trying to think back of what I just said and how much of a fool I sounded. So revengeance is his, Samson said. All right. So he's completely controlled by his emotions. Christians, you know what a thing the Bible talks about a lot? is being sober-minded. 
being controlled by the Spirit. That's not verses that just tell you don't drink beer. That's not the point of those verses. The point of those verses is to say, be controlled by the Spirit. Be sober-minded. Be in control of your emotions. Be in control of your thoughts. When I get a thought and I desire, take that desire and say, what does God's word say about that? Okay, it's good. All right, I'm good. Whoa, there's some red flags here. Let me now submit to God's word. Samson is just totally submitted to whatever he wants to do at the moment. His life, his, his, his faith, everything is about emotion. One of the reasons, and I'm not saying churches that do this are bad, one of the reasons we don't dim lights and put fog and smoke and try to rile you up into some emotional frenzy is that will not do anything. It's emotion. Now, do emotions come with the gospel? Of course they do. But to be led by just emotions and all, it's, it's against what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches sober-mindedness. Well, Samson is under the influence of his emotions and what he wants to do. And he comes back, and his wife has been given away. And what he does is go off again, and eventually his wife will be burned at a stake because of Samson's choices. Verse 1, after some days, chapter 15, we're going to go through this one quick. After some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go. Remember, he's given her away to another man. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her. Like, you left. You got mad and went off in this rage, and I just thought you didn't want her. So I gave her to my companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Well, that's just twisted, by the way. Remember I told you the ancient world has no value for women. Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. He's getting ready to flip. So Samson went and he caught 300 foxes. Now foxes are also jackals. It's kind of a mix between a fox and a wolf. Caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned these things tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to stack grain and standing grain as well as the olive orchard. He just flips. Now again, how long does it take to wind up 30 jackals? We know they travel in herds, but it's, he's got to have some help. It's not like he just went and five minutes later he's got 30 of them. Like this is a guy that just continues to be controlled. Verse 6, when the Philistines said, who has done this? Who's burned all of our crops? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. The Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, is this what you do? I swear I will avenge, be avenged on you. And after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow and went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. So he just goes off that phrase. Uh, strikes him hip and thigh means he just absolutely destroyed them like a merciless slaughter. Verse 9. The Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. Remember, the Philistines are still the conquering nation. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? Like, hey, Philistines, come on. I know you're conquerors, but you're not usually violent with us. You just make us kind of do your religious things. But why all of a sudden are you after us? And they said, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. 
Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Like, come on, what are you doing here? What then is that you have done to us? And they said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Revenge. And they said to them, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we'll only bind you and give you into their hands. We'll surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So they bring 3,000 men. Tell you how how much they fear Samson. 3,000 men, they're like, Look, they're going to keep killing us. We've got to give you over to him. He's like, Okay, fine, bind me. Verse 14 When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Like, they're pretty upset. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put it on his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Remember, God's going to accomplish what he wants to. Just probably not in the way that God or Samson would have desired. And Samson says, with the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've struck down a thousand men. Do you get a picture into Samson's heart? Look what I have done. I am man. Forget that it's the Lord that gave him strength. Forget that he's got a wife whose ashes and her skeleton is still tied to a pole that just got burned. Look what I've done. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. As arrogant and self-centered as Samson is, it is all about him. Forget his parents. What are his parents thinking now? This is a a child that they raised with this promise of God. Forget them. Forget his wife that just got burned. Forget all the spilled blood. I am Samson. Proverbs 14, 12 said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way to death. And Samson has a lot of things in his life that seem right to him at the time. I want a woman. I want to take vengeance. I want to kill some people. But it is going to lead to destruction. And the sad thing is not just him. It's going to affect the people around him. Now, Hill City. May we not sit back as self-righteous people and say, yeah, Samson's pretty bad. Any of us, one bad decision one day can turn out just like him. We're all broken. None of us take the moral high ground. None of us can look down our noses at Samson. All of us are broken. But it's in our brokenness that just like In Samson's case, God's going to take initiative and God's going to send Jesus to heal our brokenness. And we celebrate the gospel here and the gospel is all about the fact that you and I, we're Samson. Every bit of us, through and through, we are Samson. Yeah, it may may come out differently. You may not take a lion and tear its head off. You might not say, oh, give me that woman. But we're all Samson. 
God and his mercy that comes and heals us. So I'm not going to tell you this morning to try harder. I'm going to tell you this morning you need to make yourself right. I'm going to tell you trust the gospel. Trust that Jesus is the one that came to forgive you and to heal that brokenness. But listen to me, and this is important. We talk about the gospel all the time. The same gospel that forgives me and heals me and makes me righteous with God, that same gospel also empowers me to become like Christ. Let us never forget the second part. Let us not be the church to just sing songs about the cross. Oh, thank you that I'm a sinner, and thank you that Jesus came and died. All true, we'll celebrate that. But that same gospel also says to me, now you fight sin. You fight the desires of your heart. When you're walking downtown and you see a good-looking girl and, you're, and in your mind you want to stop and follow, you fight that. When you feel yourself just going to whatever you want to do, the red flies come off and you say, because Christ died for me, because he's put in spirit inside of me and now he works to me to fight sin, I can overcome. I can fight this. Let us never become the church that just holds the gospel sign up and says, well, we're saved, we can do whatever we want. No, we continue to fight. Hill City, fight sin. Kill sin. Some of you are young. We have a lot of young people at our church, and you're just now starting to see warning signs in your life of repeatable patterns. Could be an addiction could be a response, could be anger, could be uncontrollable envy, whatever. You're starting to see these warning signs of patterns. Fight it now. Don't let it grow into this root that's so deep that it's going to take years and years and years to fight. Fight it now. Kill sin. And all these judges' stories, this is what's cool about this. And all these judges' stories, when Israel is going to be delivered, there's always one person that finally stands up and says, Today it will end. We're going to battle. My prayer for some of you would be that you say, today is when I start my battle. And I'm going to kill it now before it destroys my life. One of the flaws of Samson, everything he did was alone. Your fight includes getting other people on your team. I sat down with someone a few weeks ago that's make some really, really bad decisions and on the verge to destroy their life. And here's the phrase that I told them, and I will end with this. I told this person, you don't want to go where this will take you. Men, when we fight sin, we don't want to go where that little sin will take us. Women, may you continue to fight sin. You don't want to go where that little sin, little, quote, sin will take you. So as we receive communion this morning, this is so cool. God invites broken people, us. He invites us to his table. And in that invitation says, because of my blood, because of Jesus' blood, you're now part of my family by his grace. So you come this morning, Christians, you come confidently, not in your own righteousness, but because God's invited you. You come confidently to the table. With all your junk, you come. But then as you receive the communion this morning, the elements, may you say, I must continue to fight sin and kill sin as I don't want to go where these things will take me.
And may we keep fighting together. Let's pray.